If you're sticking with us, we'll be in Luke chapter 2 this morning. Thankful for what a wonderful time we've had in service this morning. I tell you what, God has richly blessed us over and over again, hasn't He? He is a good God. Uh, He's a merciful Savior. I'm so glad. Uh, You know, as these kids file out, they are a blessing to us. I tell you what, uh, so many of them... Uh, and they love to participate in our services, and that, that's a blessing, isn't it? That, uh, that blesses me. I've been uh, back when, before I was pastoring, and I was kind of preaching at different places to fill in and different things. Uh, I went to a lot of churches that had almost no kids at all, and some had none. Uh, and I, I am so thankful that God's blessed us. Uh, but I'm also thankful for His Word, aren't you? Aren't you glad that we have the Bible? In our language, it's complete, it's error-free, and I'm thankful for it. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2, this very familiar passage, uh, especially when it comes to this time of year. And of course, whenever we look at a familiar passage, we have to slow down, because sometimes we, we know what the verses come next. We've heard many things, but I think sometimes if we slow down, God will help us, and He'll give us something uh, new for today that we can use, not something groundbreaking uh, but he can bring things to our mind he can uh, uh, the Holy Spirit can touch our hearts and to teach us uh, because his word is alive but Luke chapter 2 verse 1 says and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed and this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria and all went to be taxed every one into his own city And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Lord, we thank you once again for your word. Thank you for allowing us to come together. And Lord, as we uh, dig in your word this morning, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would help me to preach, uh, but help every one of us to listen, to learn, to apply it to our lives. And Lord, for any of our lost uh, that are listening, Lord, I pray that they'd come to know you before it's too late. Any backslider, find healing. Uh, And Lord, those that are confused uh, would find answers in the truth. And Lord, for uh, all those that are in your will, that we would be in encouraged and we thankful for all things in Jesus name we pray and amen. amen so Jesus was born under the reign of Caesar Augustus we see that in verse 1 he was the son of Julius Caesar the famous one uh, and he was the first emperor of Rome so Rome uh, when he came to power the, the it was divided uh, there was basically three big uh, ones that were fighting for the main spot when Julius Caesar died at a younger age and uh, he ended up defeating the two other rivals and he just became an emperor they they were a republic much like the United States uh, but then he made himself emperor uh, but one of the things that he did was because he unified the whole Roman Empire as he brought peace as well so not only did he when he got rid of the rivals, he got rid of the civil wars that were going on, the fighting that was going on, and he brought peace. Because I'm sure as you see in the news, when there's a war-torn area, it, it tears everything apart. You're not prosperous when you're in war, uh, but he brought peace and it brought
prosperity and everything else. And Luke tells us, uh, uh, it gives Augustus, that was the title that he gave himself, and that means sacred or exalted. He saw himself as pretty much a god at this point, and that's what he's calling himself. Uh, that's his title, but notice how, uh, listen, the Bible, even the smallest detail is important. If you would have been there at that time, you would have called him Augustus Caesar, right? Uh, the exalted Caesar, the sacred one. But Luke flips it around on purpose because I'm telling you what, uh, the Roman Empire needed a political savior, but I'm telling you what, the world needed a spiritual savior, and that's what Jesus uh, was coming. And uh, one of the things that, you know, you think about the Roman Empire they were famous for was the roads. You know, we you still hear about it today, the system of roads that they built to basically link that uh, British side of the empire all the way to India, and I'm doing it backwards for you guys, but British to India. Uh, so they link the entire empire with roads uh, and what this see we don't think much of it today we've got we can jump on interstate 71 and we can get to places within hours that are far away they didn't have that sort of thing and those roads linked uh, so you could have trade across the soldiers could march efficiently and move things for war efficiently but also the ideas were spreading along those roads and that was, it, it was no mistake that Jesus came at this point in time uh, because those roads would later on carry the gospel to all different parts. See, uh, one of the things about peace in Rome at this time is if you were a Roman citizen, you could travel between the whole empire. You were free and you were free to take your ideas and uh, uh, in that time when they had freedom of religion as well. But uh, this allowed the gospel to spread. It, it's no accident that Jesus came uh, during this time. But we see in verse 1, the time frame was there went out a decree by Caesar Augustus and he wanted the whole world to be taxed. So it's sort of like a census along with being taxed. And I was doing some research. Justin Martyr was around about 100 years after this. And he said you could still go back and see the records of this first census. You could actually go back and find where Mary and Joseph went back uh, to Bethlehem uh, and see that 100 years later. And you're thinking, well, why is that important? Well, Luke is a doctor, medical doctor by trade. He's also a historian, and he wants to make it clear in verses 1 and 2, this was a certain point in time at a certain place, and oh, by the way, you can verify it. You can go see that they came there. You know, we know when Caesar uh, uh, Augustus, uh, we know when he reigned, uh, and also verse 2, Cyrenius was the governor of Syria. That almost seems like it's an accident being thrown in there, but Luke's making sure you know this is a certain point in time. And these are real people. They, uh, they found them archaeological evidence and things like that. So the Bible's not a history book, but when it has historical things, they're true. Yeah. What's it say? Verse 3. And all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. You think about this today. If someone were to be able to issue a worldwide tax, we wouldn't even have to leave our couch. We could get out our phone. They'd have an app for it. We'd pay it, and we'd be done in a few minutes, right? It wasn't so back then. They had this worldwide tax. Why? Caesar Augustus, he, he united Rome, but he wanted money. Amen? Sounds like a regular politician. 
but in those days, uh, it wasn't as easy. And I don't know exactly why they had to go to their hometown. I'm guessing to match the birth records up to the where uh, who's paying. I'm sure they were trying to reconcile to make sure everybody was accounted for, but they had to travel. So I want you to imagine this scene, and this is where we have to kind of slow down a little bit. Bethlehem there would have had many families over the years that would have been of the lineage of David, right? Over the generations, many could trace their way back up through David, and they were all having to return. See, a lot of them had left Bethlehem for whatever reason, right? Maybe they, uh, a better work opportunity or business opportunity drew them away, or, or you know, like some people do even today. You have a bad name for yourself, so you go move somewhere else where they don't know you, Right? Maybe that was the reason why people or sometimes people would just leave a town to find a spouse. But now they're all coming back to this one city. So what happens if a whole bunch of people are coming back? There's a too many people, right? The, uh, the, the population grows. They're coming back. But it would have also been like a family reunion, right? They would have been coming in. So Bethlehem is filled with people from the lineage of David, not just Mary and Joseph. But look at verse 5. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And the Bible saying she's almost to the point of delivering. And you think about for Mary and Joseph, there couldn't have been a more inconvenient time. Right? To make this journey was, I saw one place about 70 miles, another place 80 miles. And that doesn't seem like much today. But imagine if you're walking it. Yeah. That's not a one day journey. That's a multi-day journey. She's great with child. They're leaving where they uh, live and their home, where everything's comfortable, where they've got, I'm sure, family and friends around them. They probably wouldn't have done this journey voluntarily. But here's the thing. This trip's no accident either. Micah 5.2 said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So here's the problem, right? If we're going to call it a problem, you've got Mary and Joseph where Jesus is going to be born to are in Nazareth, but the prophets said it was Bethlehem. Well, how do you get him there? Right? They haven't, they haven't left yet. She's great with child. Do you realize God can use an emperor who thinks he's God to get his will done? Amen. And what's he do? Uh, you think Caesar cared about these two? You think if someone came to him, the ruler of that whole empire, and said, well, you're going to make everybody travel back? What about the women who are pregnant? He wouldn't care. Tell them to come back anyway. I need money. God can use anything. Amen. God can use anyone, and I'm glad that he uh, is sovereign. I'm glad uh, that he used this decree uh, to a, a, a heathen, a Caesar that wouldn't have even uh, cared about it or anything else, but God used it to get his will done and to get them to Bethlehem. You know, also, it wasn't that God had to solve a problem. He can see this ahead of time anyway, so I'm glad God can see the future. But verse 6, And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her, forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. So there they are in Bethlehem, far away from home. Mary separated from her uh, family friends that she had lived around and delivers this baby. And you think about it. The Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of details, right? There's not a whole lot. You know, in some places, the Bible slows down and gives us all kinds of details about certain things. 
And then we go to places like the creation of everything and we only have a chapter or two. And here we only get a verse or two talking about one of the greatest events. uh, Just a few verses talking about him being born. And we talked about this Wednesday night, but Luke 168 in the previous chapter. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. You think about such a momentous occasion, such a huge event in human history, Jesus coming to this earth, and all we have is just a few details. We don't have much, but I will say this. Every detail in the Bible is important. Every single thing. So if we do have a few details, they're vital. Nothing can be thrown out or ignored. But one of the details we do get is Mary wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Those were torn strips of cloth that she wrapped around that new newborn baby Jesus to swaddle him like we even still do today when babies are born. But one of the things I found is that you remember those nearby shepherds that are going to hear the news and a little bit later in the chapter. Those ones that were raising the lambs that would be the sacrifices used later in the temple. When those lambs came out and that was a, the right kind and it was without spot or blemish, they would set, take that one aside and they would wrap it in swaddling cloths, a baby lamb. Why? To keep it pure and undefiled to take special care of it because it would later be used as a sacrifice. It's no accident that Jesus was wrapped in the same type of thing that the shepherds would use uh, for a sacrificial lamb because Jesus was the sacrificial lamb. Amen. He was the one, uh, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So that was one detail that we get. But then another one later in verse seven, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Was laid in a manger. That's a feeding trough for animals. Which tells us right off the bat that his birth was not normal, right? Usually you don't give birth in a place where animals are and put a baby in a feeding trough where animals are. Uh, I, I, I know we're surrounded by farms. I've never been, uh, in, never really done a lot of farming, wasn't an FFA or anything like that. I've read books about farming, of course, you know, different things like that. But it's not a clean place, I don't believe, Right? It's not a clean, right? You got those boots that you put on and you leave them outside and everything else. And to think you'd have a baby there, that tells us something right off the bat. That Jesus wasn't born the same way that most of us were. But it just reinforces the fact that Mary and Joseph were poor. But not only that, the end of verse 7 says, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, here's some times where we have to press pause a little bit and think about, you know, uh, this nativity seems pretty simple, but a lot of ours that we have has the, has the whole thing, right? It has the whole setup. You got the, you got the barn, you got whatever, and depending on if you got little tight ones or whatever, you, or you've got a more serious, pretty one, uh, a lot of times they have these kind of extravagant things uh, uh, where they're inside of, whatever the uh, kind of the shelter is there. But likely that's not what it looked like. If you go back in Bible times, usually the way the houses were is they were two-story. Now, don't think of some mansion or anything like that. They were pretty open but two stories, and the people would live on the higher story. That's where they would stay. And on the lower story, 
That's where you'd have the animals as well, amongst other things. I mean, it wasn't, again, you'd have some places where animals and people would both use. Uh, but if you were sleeping, generally you were on the upper half, the upper story of the house, and the animals on the bottom. And when it says there's no room in the inn, I know, again, I know we've seen Christmas plays. I know we've watched things on TV and everything like that. They did not go to Bethlehem and go to the Motel 6 and see a no vacancy sign and then stay in the stable. That didn't happen. A lot of times we try to think of what a hotel or something like, we read a word like in and it, uh, what we do naturally is we think of today. What does that mean? We can't do that. Right. It's Bible times. In Bible culture, a long time ago, they didn't go to a chain inn. In fact, the, the word for inn, really this one, isn't the same word for inn. Remember the good Samaritan that took the man that was hanging near death and took him to an inn and gave money to the innkeeper? It's a different word. So you, what this probably means is that there was no room in the upper part of the house because there were so many people in Bethlehem that they had to stay in the lower part with the animals where the feeding trough was and everything else. Remember, people showed hospitality unlike we mainly do today. They weren't going to the hotel and being turned away. There was just no room anymore. No room in the normal place of the house where they would stay. But they're right next to animals. Right? I mean, you can't, I mean, that part of it, it's true. The animals and the nativity is true, but uh, the exact picture may not be the same. But one of the things the Bible is clear about is that there's, there was no room. Amen? There was no room there. You know, there are times at work, and maybe you run into this, where I want to have a meeting with somebody and they look at their schedule. And what do they say? There's no room on the schedule. We, we just can't meet. We got to push it out longer. Has that ever happened to you? Maybe you're one that's got an SUV out there and you've packed it full of things and you've gotten to the point or a minivan or something and you said, you know what, we can't fit any more things in here, right? There's no room. Or, or, or maybe, uh, maybe they're uh, in our church here, you know, we're, uh, we're kind of confined and we, we try to stick things everywhere we can. We don't have a lot of storage space in the church. There's no room, right? But those are different. This is saying that there was no room for Jesus, right? That, I think, was one of the most important details in this story. And we can read it quickly and overlook it. There was no room for Jesus to be anywhere but the last place that they could put him. Bethlehem was crowded because of the tax and the census. Homes were filled. And you think about it almost like a holiday season today that we're celebrating what would have happened? Women in the houses would probably be working hard uh, to take care of everyone, to feed people and different things like that. Uh, there would have been in the market vendors that were working hard to make sure everyone had enough food and they could make even more money as all these people were here. Everyone would be working hard uh, to uh, in this time where all the people were in Bethlehem uh, and all the movement and everything else. And you've got this poor husband and wife staying in a place where animals slept and that's where the savior of the world was born amen amen and his birth changed the world yeah. but i guarantee in bethlehem only few knew it that night only a handful even realized what had happened what were some of the leaders remember uh, caesar herod cyrenius they were all unaware 
And God did not send the angels to the emperors, the governors, the kings of the land. He sent it to the shepherds. Amen. That's who he announced. The shepherds that John the Baptist would say, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. See, there was no room for Jesus in the palace in Syria, in the palace in Rome, in the palace in even Jerusalem. There was no room for Jesus in the upper rooms, right? Uh, of Bethlehem where people were staying. They were all crowded and filled. You know what we could do? We could look back on this group and this time and these people in Bethlehem and we could look down on them, couldn't we? In fact, we could go a step further and say, you know what? I would have made room for Jesus, right? I would have made room for them. I wouldn't have let them stay with the animals, well, here's the thing. You and I can't, I can't transport us back into time. But I'll tell you what we can do. I can ask you this question. Are you making room for Jesus today? Yeah. Are you making, does he have room in your house today? Or is it just off to the side? Amen. Are you making room for Jesus in your whole heart? Or just in the areas of your life where it's convenient? It's the same thing today. Yeah, yeah they're not. Uh, uh, you, we don't have the pregnant Mary uh, with Joseph. We don't have them here and whether we're going to make room for them. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus still is the Savior. He's still the King. He's still Lord of King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And the question is, are we making room for Jesus? Yes. Are we today or are we like so many in Bethlehem, too busy with the cares of this world, too busy with the hustle and bustle? I've realized something. You know, the devil has done a great job. I want you to listen to me. Turning Christmas, the time we're celebrating the birth of Christ, into a time where we think about everything but Jesus Christ. That's right. right? We are so busy. We're trying to get gifts. We're trying to plan things. We're trying, and I'm not saying these are all sinful, but I'm telling you, he wants us to be so busy, so stressed out, so hectic, that we don't even think about Jesus on his birth. Yeah. That's what he wants to do. The devil doesn't want you to have any room. He wants to keep you so busy that you don't even slow down and worship him and thank him. And that's what we need to do. Amen. You think it of where sometimes we think of this as being the beginning of Jesus, but it wasn't. 750 years prior to his birth, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 6, I love chapter 6 of Isaiah in verse 1. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. And those angels were worshiping him continuously, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Before Jesus came to this earth, he was. He was God. Isaiah saw him. Many others saw him. But Isaiah saw him on the throne and saw him being worshipped. That was a before his birth. Then he was born, walked on this earth, lived a sinless life. He taught, he healed, he did many miracles and they uh, uh, in, in turn they gave him up to die on the cross but he did it voluntarily. He died for the sins of the world. He gave his life. He was buried and on the third day he rose again victoriously over sin. He was seen by many uh, over the next 40 days. Uh, the Bible says 500 later were still, uh, many of whom were still alive 
and he was seen and then they watched him ascend back up into heaven from where he came and uh, Jesus said uh, uh, or I'm sorry I'm skipping ahead 60 years after he ascended about uh, there is John uh, the apostle John he's on the Isle of Patmos he's banished excommunicated uh, and in chapter 4 John uh, looks up to heaven and is taken up to heaven and the first thing he sees is the throne and I'm glad the throne wasn't empty but he said one sat on the throne and just in case we didn't know who was there you've got the angels the same ones saying holy 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 Lord God Almighty which was and is and is to come what I'm telling you here today is before he was born he was on the throne after he died and rose and went back to heaven all the way till today he's still on the throne today but that tells us one thing he left all of heaven, right? He left the worship that he was due. He left all of that to be born around animals, to be placed in a stable, to be wrapped in swaddling cloths, just like the lambs that would be sacrifices later. Jesus did that for you and I. Yes. Amen. Amen? When with this Christmas season, sometimes we got to slow down yes. and we got to get our Bible. And we got to read it and just think about it and say, thank you, Lord. You did that for me. I didn't deserve it. I still don't deserve it. You left all of heaven and, the only, and you came back to heaven. You were on the throne then. You're on the throne now. The only thing you gained is us. Yeah. That's it. He didn't need anything. Yeah. But he came back because he loved you and I so much to die for us. Is there any room for Jesus? I hope so in our lives. He was born for the purpose. Just to share the truth. To share the gospel. And that gospel begins with all men repenting from their sins. Because he died for the sins of the world. And I'm glad he did it for all. But we've got to make room for him today. Amen. But Jesus said this. John 14.1 Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Jesus Christ, when he left, he said, when I leave, I'm not going to be uh, dormant up in heaven. I'm not going to be lazy. I'm going to prepare a place for all those that have trusted in Jesus Christ. You know what that tells me today? If Jesus is preparing a place for us, there will, heaven will not run out of room. There is enough room for every one of us to go to heaven today. We won't be uh, relegated to the stable or anything else. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. Yes. Amen. Praise God. He came to this world that had no room for him. And he's preparing a place that has room for us. I don't understand why he loves us so much. But I'm thankful for it. But then, we love talking about heaven, don't we? But for those that reject Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for sin, there's another prepared place. Jesus was talking about a future day when sinners will be judged and he says this in Matthew 25, 41. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. 
And here's the thing. If you reject Jesus Christ, it's punishment for eternity. That's what the Bible says. But Jesus himself said that was not created for you and I. It was created for the devil and his angels that fell and rebelled against God. And if it was only created for them, here's the question. How, Mike, you, you've said from the authority of God's word that if you reject Jesus Christ, you will end up in hell as well. If it was only prepared for that small group, how can it take on all the many ones that have died without Jesus in this time? Unfortunately, Isaiah, in the chapter before, chapter 6, Isaiah 5, 14, Therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure, and their glory, and their multitude, and their pomp, and he that rejoiceth shall descend into what? You know what the sad thing is? There's plenty of room in heaven. Yeah. And unfortunately, if you find yourself in hell... Hell will make room for you too. Yeah. That's the sad part. It's not his will that any should perish. Amen. He didn't build it for the whole world in mind. Yeah. He built it for the devil and his angels. But if you reject him, you will go there. Yeah. And it will enlarge. And it will take you in for eternity. Will you make room for Jesus today? Amen. In this week to come, this next few days, are you making room for Jesus? And it's easy to say yes. But what about actually looking at your life? Yeah. Is he ruling your life or is he just when it's convenient? He left all of convenience to come die for us. He could have been born in the palace, but he was born in the stable. Amen. He was born in that lower level Amen. with the animals and filth. So that he could die for us. That's how much he loves you. I'm here to ask you today. If you don't know Jesus. You need to make room for him. Amen. In your soul. Yes. And if you are saved today. By Jesus Christ. Praise God. But are you serving him? That's how a Christian makes room for Jesus. Are you serving him today? Yeah. And if not. You've got to push out those other things. And make room for him as well. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. We're going to get the.